How many of you know that there is hope through the name of Jesus? If you're here today and you feel broken, you feel alone, you feel abandoned, you feel lost, there's hope through Jesus. That's right. There are some broken places in our world, and we have been grieved in our spirit. We've been asking as a church for our ears to be open to the cries of the poor, to the cries of the hurting all over our world. We know that there's great need in Afghanistan. There is great need in Haiti. We took time last week to pray. 2,100 people have lost their lives. 12,000 are injured. Many are struggling to find a, a warm place to live, uh, desperate to have a new uh, a, a, a plate of food to be fed for, for, for family, for children. And as a church, we must do something. Amen? Proverbs 21 says, if we shut our ears to the poor, God won't answer us in our time of need. A few years ago, when a hurricane hit our state, uh, I'm grateful that Convoy of Hope, who's been a partner for years that you have, as a church have given towards, they came rolling in with their semi-trucks and hundreds of you were mobilized as volunteers as we went down to help people who were hurting, broken, and hungry, to help churches that were devastated by the hurricane. And then a year and a half ago, when the pandemic hit our city, that same truck, Convoy of Hope, came and they delivered non-perishable goods. We actually turned this, how many of you remember when we turned this auditorium into a warehouse to feed thousands of families in need? I'm so grateful that Convoy of Hope was here for us. And they go to those who are in need. They run to the fire, to the crisis, to the disaster. And today we can partner together to meet a great need. It is a great opportunity. We've asked you to consider giving a one day's wages to feed the hungry. And today we have a special guest speaker today who's representing Convoy of Hope. I first heard Mark Cox speak at an event earlier this year in Houston, and while he was speaking, my heart was moved. I was burdened. And I, I just sensed that the Lord was causing our paths to cross together. And after that event, we shared some time in conversation and we would later communicate. And so we invited him. I believe we only have one outside guest speaker a year and, and Mark's the guy, but he represents Convoy of Hope and he's delivering the word for us today. He's going to share the opportunity that we can meet. So can you put your hands together to welcome, appreciate and honor Mark and Convoy of Hope. Appreciate you, ma'am. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, Gateway Fellowship. How are you doing today? Is anybody awake and excited for something good to happen today? I don't know if you felt the pressure, but I didn't know that you have one guest speaker in a year. And so all of a sudden, I'm rethinking everything I'm getting ready to say. No, hey, it's exciting to be here, whether you're on site right here or online watching, it's a wonderful opportunity to just gather together. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you are a part of something special right here at this church. Do you know that? You have some phenomenal pastors who love God with all their heart, and every time I get to share just a few moments with your pastors, I love uh, their heart, I love their spirit, their servant leaders, I can tell it just from the few minutes that I'm around them. Let's give a hand for your pastors, love on them for a little bit. They are great people, they serve you, they love you, and that's phenomenal. 
Your church is a, a church that's on a mission. It's a mission-driven church, and Convoy of Hope is honored to partner in the mission that you have for this city and this world. I loved what your pastor shared. You're a church who gets your hands dirty. Now, how do you know the gospel requires us to get our hands dirty? And so you've engaged both in hurricane response as well as COVID response. You're a church that not only goes, but you give, you do both. You realize that it takes all the above to do that. And I just want to take a minute and celebrate you this morning and say thank you, thank you, thank you for being such a phenomenal partner with Convoy of Hope. But more importantly, thank you for caring about the heart of God, which is hurting people everywhere. Thank you so much for doing that. I want you to know, I think the church is the hero of the story. I still believe that the greatest needs in this world today can be answered by a church who carries the gospel to the need. I believe that the hope of the world is the church, and our goal at Convoy of Hope is really simple. We want to help you deliver hope. Our goal is not to get our name everywhere. Our goal is to get the name of Jesus everywhere through the church. That's our goal. And so we're so thankful that we can partner together in doing that. It's our partnership with you that has allowed us to do unbelievable things and deliver hope over the last 18 months. I don't know if any of you heard of a little thing called COVID. Did COVID get down here in this part of the state? I didn't know if it was just a Missouri thing or a news thing, but, but as churches were shifting and changing in 2020, Convoy of Hope had to shift and change as well. And in the middle of all that, we saw one of our greatest years ever. By God's grace and your faithfulness, Every single initiative at Convoy expanded or grew last year because of church's faithfulness. In fact, yeah, let's give God a hand. That's awesome. Just in percentages, our disaster responses went up 31%. So when we think about right now, we're responding in Haiti. We're a meeting need in Haiti. People have asked us questions about Afghanistan, and, and most of you know we can't get in country because of volatility and political stuff, but we're looking for the opportunities where refugees may migrate. We trained 132% more farmers last year. We empowered, I love this number, 196% more women and girls in how to get out of poverty. We added 87,000 children to our children's feeding program every school day. And then last year, as I mentioned, when COVID hit in March, our president and founder, Hal Donaldson, he put out a big goal. He said to us as an organization, we're going to deliver 10 million meals right here in the United States. How many of you, 10 million is still a big number to you? And I thought, 10 million, that's, that's ambitious. Let's see if we can do that. Well, I'm proud to tell you that we delivered 10 million meals in 36 days to people all over the U.S. And as you well know, at 36 days, we just weren't done yet. We went to 50 million, and then we went to 100 million. And as of today, we have delivered over 200 million meals in 32 countries and 48 states, all because of churches like Gateway Fellowship. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, your partnership, and your commitment. And because of you, we were able to deliver hope to 31 million people in 2020. Come on, give yourselves a hand. You did a phenomenal job. We love you. We appreciate you. How many of you can remember the last time you invited someone to dinner at your home? How many can remember that? Maybe it was pre-COVID. Maybe you're like, I don't want those weirdos at my house. 
you know? Maybe you can't remember, but maybe you do. And I just want to ask you a question. I don't know how you're wired, but when you invite someone to your home, I'm going to give you a multiple choice question. Are you either A, a prepper, someone who gets everything ready to the nth degree, make sure everything is in its perfect place, or are you B, that person who just says, hey, this is our home. Let's just leave it like it is, underwear on the ceiling fan. It's all good. So if you're A, you're a prepper, you're like going to take all the time in the world, raise your hand, just identify yourself, let everybody know. Is anybody surprised by the hands you see up if you're sitting next to them? No, no, no. How many of you are that? Just leave it as it is. Socks on the counter. It doesn't matter to me. All right, I'm not coming to your house for dinner. I know you're not washing your silverware, you're not doing all the stuff that's necessary. Listen, I, uh, my wife, who's not able to be here today, in six weeks, we're going to celebrate our 27th wedding anniversary, and this is something, hey, yeah, she survived with me that long. This is something I know about my wife. My wife is a prepper. Everything has to be in its place. So if guests are coming over, the floors have to be vacuumed, they have to be swept, and they have to be mopped. The counters have to be wiped down, everything has to be cleared off them and put away. The dishes need to be washed and put away. The bathrooms need to be cleaned. Not just the guest bathroom, all the bathrooms. Not just all the bathrooms in our house, our neighbors need to clean their bathrooms if we're having guests over. Like she's really intense about this. Even down to the meal choice and the setting of the table and and the intentionality and the importance. Why? Why is it important? Because our guests are important. The guests that are coming to our house that are sitting at our table are important to us. It's like this table sitting in front of you, set up with care, where people can come and gather together and connect. It's really a great visual of the kingdom of God. Because the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ sets the table. It saves the seat for people who are hurting and far from God, who need to experience life-changing hope. And so the big idea that if you don't catch anything else today from this message, this is what I want you to catch. I want us all to understand that hope sets the table, but we send the invitation. Hope sets the table. Jesus has done everything needed to make sure that hope is available to all, but you and I send that invitation. Now, in just a minute, we're going to land in Matthew chapter 15, but before we get there, I'm reminded of some things that Jesus gave in his final instructions in Matthew 28. In his final words to his followers, and when I say followers, I mean both then and now. He said these words to them. He he said to them, go and make disciples. How many of you heard that phrase before? Go and make disciples. Now, what's interesting here is what he didn't say. He didn't say, um, stay. Stay right here and wait for them to come to you. He didn't say, sit down and, and maybe if you feel prompted, you can go. In fact, he didn't even say, go pray about it. Prayer's important, right? But Jesus said, you don't need to pray about whether or not you go. He said, go and make disciples. Now, we call this the Great Commission. It is a co-mission with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying to us, I've set the table. Now, I'm placing the invitations in your hand. Now, it's your responsibility. Listen, your privilege to distribute the invitations on my behalf. Now, how many of you know there are a lot of ways to share the hope of Jesus? 
Obviously, we verbalize it. That's one of the key ways that we do that. But Jesus also demonstrated another way in Matthew 25. He's talking in this passage to a bunch of religious people. Look at somebody next to you and say, that's church people. Right? That's you and I. He's talking to a bunch of religious people when he, he kind of says something that disrupts their way of thinking. Has anyone noticed that Jesus often disrupted the room he was in? He made people a little uneasy and he shook them up a little bit by saying something that challenged their faith because what did he say? And I'm just paraphrasing here. He says that real faith isn't just words. Real faith isn't just happy Jesus talk. Real faith is expressed not only in our words, but in our deeds. And he says this, when you feed the hungry, when you give a drink to the thirsty, when you clothe the naked, when you engage the homeless or visit someone who's sick or in prison, Jesus says to them, that's real faith. And let me go a step further. I believe he says to them, that's real love. We can say we love the world, but until we're ready to engage it, something's just not right in how we think. And Jesus shocked them. They were stunned by what he said. Why were they stunned by this statement? To you and I, we think homeless, hurting, naked, thirsty. That just makes sense. But his disciples were stunned. Why? Because those were the people that they shunned. Those were the people they pushed out. Why? Those individuals were considered unclean, unholy, and unimportant in their day. But Jesus knew who he was talking to. He knew the biases in their mind. And he goes on to say this in Matthew 25, 45. He says, whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who is being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. And I think it's so important that we understand what Jesus was saying in this moment. He was saying, you cannot separate compassion from the commission. You cannot separate compassion from the commission. They are inseparable. We must share the gospel, but we must also show the gospel to people who are hurting and struggling. That's why we believe that hope sets the table. But you and I have been positioned to hand out the invitations. If you have a Bible today, turn to chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read together. Whether you have a physical Bible or one in your pocket, I often say to people, take out your Bible and turn it on. And just let the word of God uh, kind of wash over you. I want to look at the story in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. It's a powerful story where Jesus demonstrates compassion and commission in one place. Beginning in verse 21, it says this, Jesus left Galilee and went north. In verse 22, a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me. Oh Lord, son of David, why? Because my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. It says this, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. They said, tell her to go away. She is bothering us with all of her begging. And then Jesus said to the woman, he said to her, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came, this is a powerful statement, and worshiped him. 
and pleaded with him again, saying, Lord, help me. And Jesus makes another interesting statement. He responds and says, it isn't right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied with another powerful statement of faith. That's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. And look at the shift. Jesus says, dear woman, your faith is great. And it says, your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. How many of you, as we read this, you can acknowledge that this is both a strange and a powerful story? It's a little unique. It's a little interesting. So let me set the context for this passage. I want you to imagine for a moment, picture Jesus standing in the middle between the old covenant of the Old Testament and the new covenant of the New Testament. And there is a rope attached to each. And Jesus has a rope in each hand. And he's being pulled in both directions. On one side, the the old covenant, Jesus is wrapping up that old covenant, that covenant that was solely for the Israelite Jews, promised and promises for the Jews. On the other side is this brand new covenant. And where the old covenant was for the Jews, he's now saying it's not just for some, it's for all. Hope is for everyone. The table is set for all. And in Jesus' death and his resurrection that's coming in the days to come, he will fulfill the old covenant and launch the new covenant. But we find him in the middle of this tension. Come on, somebody. Can you see it? He's being pulled both directions because Jesus' primary mission still in this moment is the Jewish people. And that context is so important. Why is it important? Because without it, this story makes Jesus look mean. Right? He seems harsh, and that's not the Jesus we serve when in fact Jesus is using this story as a lesson for his disciples who are watching For this woman who thought she had no significance. And listen, for everyone else who would read the stories in the day to come living in that new covenant of grace. It was a story of lesson for us. And Jesus, he links in this passage compassion and commission by demonstrating with this woman three key things. The first one is this. He demonstrated that everyone has value. Everyone has value. This woman was identified as a Gentile. You may say, what does that mean? What is a Gentile? Well, a Gentile is not a nationality or a people group. A Gentile is simply any person who's not Jewish. Any person who's not born of Jewish descent. And this means that the Jewish people did not view Gentiles as valuable. And the disciples demonstrated this. In this passage, I want you to consider for a minute the story. This woman comes to Jesus, begging him in desperation for help. Why? Because her daughter is demon-possessed. She needs deliverance. She's begging for Jesus to intervene. And his disciples know that he's the solution. They've seen him do it before. They've seen his miracles firsthand, but they're not interested in connecting this young lady to Jesus to find hope. Instead, they think to themselves, why don't we just get rid of her? Why don't we just tell her to get lost? Get out of here. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Maybe you haven't figured it out, but you're not that important. 
At first glance, it's easy to believe that Jesus might have been thinking the same thing. Because when Jesus said this statement, should I take food from the children and throw it to the dogs, that seems a little too hard for us to comprehend. But remember, there are disciples on the sideline watching. And that statement was a metaphor, not an insult. Jesus was painting a picture of a new message of the new covenant that he wanted the the disciples to understand. He was highlighting a change that was in motion. He was trying to help them understand that hope wouldn't just be for the Jewish people anymore. It would be for everyone. And listen, he needed his disciples to know that. He needed his disciples to hear that. He needed his disciples to see that in the moment firsthand. He needed his disciples to see him take the moment and the time of love and kindness and compassion to engage this Gentile woman. Why? Because he wanted every one of them to know that everyone has value. And because they have value, we invite them to the table. Jesus also wants us to know this, the second thing, everyone has a seat at the table. Everyone has a seat at the table. The list of exclusions in the Old Testament for Gentiles was long. The list of things that that made them uh, feel like they were not right with God or not worthy. In fact, just the fact that this young lady's daughter was demon-possessed would make many Jewish people believe that, that either the mom was sinful or the daughter was sinful or it was because of sin that she was experiencing this torment. And Jesus debunked that so many times. He went through and said, it's not about that. But listen, Jesus made it clear. The only thing that can separate us from him is unsubmitted heart of sin. The only thing that can separate us from him is us choosing not to walk in faith to him. He says surrender and repentance is the only prerequisite to sit at the table of faith. He says there's a seat at the table. But no, you don't know so-and-so where I work. No, you don't know my family member. I'm pretty sure they're demon-possessed. You don't get it. I'm not sure there's a seat at the table for them, but Jesus said a surrendered and repented heart always has a seat at the table. You see, everyone has a seat at the table. Everyone, regardless of their nationality, their ethnicity, regardless of their gender, regardless of their political views, everybody has a seat at the table. Regardless of their vaccine preference, Everyone has a seat at the table. You see, we draw lines, but Jesus pulls out a chair. He pulls out a chair. And he says, welcome to my table. I saved you a seat because you're valuable and important to me because everyone has value. Everyone has a seat at the table. And lastly, in this story, we see that extravagant faith moves Jesus. Amazing faith, extravagant faith. This woman was desperate. She had no other hope. And listen, she had no reason to believe that Jesus would help her. She understood that she was a Gentile and that he was a Jewish man. She knew that there was really no reason for him to listen to her. She knew her social position, but she also knew his power. How do we know that? When she came to him, she says to him, oh Lord, son of David. What does that mean? It means she believed he was the Messiah. It means she thought that he had the power to do something special. She was saying, Jesus, I know who you are. I know what you can do. Even the scraps 
from your table are so good because you're so good. If I can just get close, like the woman who touched the hem of his garment, if I can just get close, I know that you are so good that that's enough for me. And I read that story, and I can't help but believe that Jesus began to have a smile come across his face as he looked at this woman and thought to himself, she gets it. She gets it. These knuckleheads that are following me around all the time, I'm not sure they get it. But she gets it. And her faith, wow, it amazes me. And I can see Jesus' response to her, no, sweetheart, you're my daughter. And my daughters don't eat off the floor at my house. They don't eat the scraps from my table. My daughters pull up a chair. They sit at my table. I give them my best. I serve them my best. And Jesus was saying, I see you. You're valuable to me. You're important to me. Your faith moves me. And I've saved you a seat at my table. You see, extravagant faith moves Jesus. The question I think we have to ask is this, will an extravagant Jesus move us? Will that extravagant hope that Jesus demonstrated through compassion and commission move us? Will it compel us by his goodness for you and I to go out and do whatever it takes to set the table in the world, in the hurting world we live in, and invite other people to sit at the table and join us? Because hope, it sets the table. But the invitation is sent by us. How many of you already know that you and I are responsible for the communities that we live in? Sometimes it's easy to think about giving money to places around the world, but God holds us accountable for the places where we live, the places where we work. God holds us accountable to reach everyone everywhere, right in our own communities. And I'm so thankful that you're a church who reaches and loves and cares about your own community. But I would challenge every one of us, myself included, make sure that there's no one in your community that you look at and devalue. Make sure there's no one that you think, well, maybe they don't have a seat at the table. Because the person you walk by, the homeless person living under the bridge, the single mom who's struggling to make ends meet, Jesus sees value in them. He's pulled up a seat at the table for them. See, hope sets the table. This physical table sitting on the stage today really represents a visual illustration of that hope that we set up for people. You see, a Convoy of Hope, our business is delivering and setting up tables. That's what we do. We go and set up tables so that churches like you around the globe can go and bring hope and life to people who are hurting. Because we believe that the commission and compassion cannot be separated from each other. It can't be separated from the declaration of Jesus. There has to be hope in tangible ways given to people. And when I look at this table and the tabletop, the top of this table represents the literal life and hope of Jesus Christ. It's the place where people can pull up and find the answer to every struggle, every need, and every hopeless situation in their life. He sets the table with his blessing. He sets the table with his joy. He sets the table with his peace. He sets the table with restoration from their devastation. Jesus is the hope. And listen, while we may start with a bag of rice 
or, or a hygiene kit in the middle of the storm. We know that that's not the ending place because the greatest need of every heart and every life is to know Jesus Christ personally. He's the table that we set in front of so many. The legs on this table really represent the compassion initiatives that Convoy facilitates around the globe to try to give the hope of Jesus a place to rest and a place to stand. When you look at the legs of this table, some of them represent things like our disaster response, where we go into communities and we find an urgent need and we say, you know what? I think the church has what this community needs in disaster, and so we put a leg on the table and we make sure that we can respond like we did last year to 62 disasters and served 5.5 million people with the hope of Jesus in the middle of their worst day. Another leg is the children's feeding leg. That's the desperate need of individuals if we don't step in and help these children and families find food, that these children will die. Statistics tell us that this year, 5.2 million children under the age of five will die simply because they don't have clean drinking water and basic food. 5.2 million. But last year, we did our part, and we fed 387,000 children every school day in 17 countries, in 2,100 program centers around the world because they needed the hope, and we set a table on your behalf. Another leg on this table is represented by our women's and girls' empowerment programs. We call that the opportunistic need. We found through surveys and through studies that have been done around the globe that when you empower a mother, even more than a father in some of these third world countries, the mothers will change their family, change their community, and lifestyle and change will happen throughout a country because a mom or a girl has been empowered. And so in desperate places, We've gone in 26,000 women and girls in 16 countries, 46,000 over 11 years have had the table of hope set up in front of them because churches like you empowered us to do that. Agriculture, which may seem so basic, how to grow your own food, we consider that the impactful need. When I think of the country of Haiti where we're responding right now, because we went in back when the original earthquake happened over 11 years ago, we were able to work with farmers. They weren't growing their own food for their own people. And we were able to teach them how to farm and teach them how to produce food for their own people. And then they taught others and they taught others. And sometimes it's the women and girls in our program that learn that as well and learn how to provide for their own families and find hope. You see, that's the hope that Gateway Fellowship is setting up around the world. I want you to see this table and visualize the millions of people, thousands of churches partnering with you to deliver hope to hurting people like this. This is the type of extravagant faith that's increasing the population of heaven and building the kingdom of God right now on this earth. But it's more than stats And it's more than numbers, it's stories, and it's people. Because every chair around this table represents millions of people whose lives have been changed. I think for a minute of Erica in our women's empowerment program. Erica knew what poverty was, she had grown up in it, and she had said to herself, when I get older, when I become adult, When I have children, I want to do whatever it takes to make sure that my kids don't live in the same destitute poverty that I did. But when she got older and had her first daughter, she found herself struggling to make ends meet, 
to the point that she went out into the city streets and scavenged for food and got food out of the garbage. But she still looked at her daughter struggling to survive and her heart was broken until one day someone told her about a convoy women's group at a local church, a mom's group. And she went to that group and she learned a practical job skill. And then she went out and began to work that job. And in her own words, she said, I began to believe again that I had value and importance. Not only did they receive food and help and encouragement, but what they received was even more. They received joy and Jesus because someone set up a table. Their lives are forever changed. Another table, another chair at this table represents our children's feeding program. I'm reminded of a a man named Jules, a man who grew up in poverty. He said, I knew what it was like to go to bed every night with nothing in my stomach. He said, every now and then, as we went to bed, our our mom would give us some grain to chew on just before we went to bed, or if we were really bad, we would just find leaves and boil them. Not leaves of substance, just any leaf, and boil it and drink that. He said, as I became an adult, I looked at my community in Burkina Faso, and I said, something has to change, and I'm going to be a part of the solution. In 2019, Convoy began to partner with Jules to begin to feed the children of his village. And to hear him share the story, he said, my heart is full every time I scoop food into a child's plate because I know they're being fed. And because of Jules and his desire to be the answer and because of partners like you, thousands of children in Burkina Faso are not only eating, they're having a seat at the table of hope and finding Jesus. The other story is the story of disaster. This chair represents all the individuals who've been a part of a disaster response and found hope. Many of you remember in August 2019, Hurricane Dorian, a Cat 5 hurricane, hit the Bahamas and hovered over the islands for 48 hours. Pastor Lockhart tells the story. He said, when I sat in my house, I heard the storm sitting there. He said, it sounded like a freight train coming through my living room. And he said, we thought it would never end. And he said, when this stopped, we walked outside and we saw that homes were flattened, lives were lost, and hope was destroyed. But together, we set a table of hope for the people in the Bahamas. 180 containers of supplies, 37 airplane loads of goods, over 5 million pounds of products, 5.5 million meals served to people who are struggling. But there's a better story here. 64,000 people got to pull up to the table of hope and find Jesus and find hope in their time of need. But you see, there's one more table One more chair at this table. This chair is being saved for someone else. This chair at the table is being saved for you. Because without you, this table doesn't exist. You're in this room today and you just say, I'm a business person, what do I have to offer? Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you, today is the day to invest at this seat of the table. This is your day to not be distant from it, but it's time to engage it. You may wonder why God has blessed you with much. It's because God wanted to trust you with much, to sow much. Listen, to change much so that others could have a seat at the table. You could be a a single person here today, a single mom, and you think, I don't have much to give. I want you to know it's never been about equal giving. It's been about equal sacrifice. 
Will you hear the heart of God and say, you know what, I may not feel like I have much, but I can make a difference in the world I live in. You might be an empty nester or a grandparent today and you hear the story of children and you think of your grandchildren and you wonder, should I take a seat at the table? We saved a seat for you because you care about the people who sit across this table from you. You may be a hardworking mom and dad doing everything it takes to put food on the table for your family, but I want you to know that God's reserved a seat for you at the kingdom table where you can give and invest and go and provide for families around the world. You see, because of you, nobody has to eat scraps that fall off the table. Hope sets the table. Listen, we can't engage every issue around the world, but that shouldn't stop us from engaging the ones that are right in front of us. Come on. We can't change the choices that people make, but we can change the choices people have. And we can give them a new choice because extravagant, uh, everyone has value. Everyone gets a seat at the table. And your extravagant faith and my extravagant faith moves the heart of God. And so today, as we prepare to give in just a moment, your sacrificial giving your one day's pay that you invest today will set the table for countless millions who will feel and see the compassion and love of Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time ever. This is my challenge for you today. Wherever you are in this room in whatever age, stage, and status of life, I wanna challenge you, don't miss the opportunity to be a part of this miracle today. You say, I don't have one day's pay to give, then give a dollar Give $5, just sow something into what God's doing today because your giving is setting a table in destitute places. And this is what you're saying to the people as you give. You're saying to hurting people around the world, I see you. You are valuable. From San Antonio, Texas, we know that you're there and we believe that God loves you and that we're gonna help set up a table for you. Let's pray together in this moment. Father, we just take a moment to say challenge our hearts because in this moment we have an opportunity to take our seat at the table, to find our place where we can give, where we can invest, and we can see the eternal return of what you're doing in lives through things as simple as a meal, something as simple as a hygiene kit, or job training, or how to plant a seed and grow a crop. Lord, today, every one of us has an opportunity to pull up a seat at the table. And a lot of excuses can be in our heart about why we can't, but Lord, we choose to engage no matter what today because you're a God who's called us to show compassion as we bring the gospel to hurting people. So Father, stir our hearts as we give generously today. In Jesus' name, amen.